Welcome to the Real Estate Addicts Podcast. This is episode 28 with your hosts, Ray Herto, HRV Homes. Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. Mark Savatsky, Choose Boston. And today we are joined by... Anne Amagrande. Of? Grande AMA and Associates. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to our new and improved studio here yeah. in South Boston. I'm glad that we're here to help you guys kick it off. Absolutely. So this is stop number what on your road show here? You came from New York? Yes, we started in Phoenix, went to Vegas, um, Orange County, New York. This is our fifth stop. Nice. And then we'll be heading down to um, West Palm Beach. So visiting some family offices. Awesome. I just got back from Vegas sort of by way of Zion National Park. So Vegas and Boston, very similar cities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you from the West Coast originally? Yeah, so I grew up in Southern California. Oh, nice. Excellent. Whereabouts? Uh, Pasadena. So it's, it's always funny because I grew up in a very small town called Monrovia. And, you know, you, you tell people, oh, yeah, I'm from Monrovia. And they say, oh, and they give you that, like, deer in the headlights look. And you're like, okay, great, Pasadena. And then they still give it to you. You just say, L.A. Yeah. <laughs> L.A. You just kind of go, you know, start, start working your way out. Real estate was not your first foray out of... Uh, out of school, no? No, that is that is correct. You want to tell us a little bit about how you found your way into real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my real estate venture actually started when I was very young. So my grandmother was a realtor in Southern California. Uh, she was one of the top realtors um, in Orange County. And when we were growing up, we would actually go and clean out all the REOs. Ooh, and so there was one fun. year. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got paid for it. So this was our first, you know, this first job that we had when we were growing up. And um, she actually did 300 REOs in a year. Holy smokes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that that drive and that that dedication and passion really is always, you know, flowed through all of our veins. Did she work for the banks themselves or did she, who did she work for? I think she worked for Prudential, if I remember correctly. So did the banks hire Prudential yeah. to sell the REOs? Yes, that's okay. correct. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, she had um, four of my aunts working for her. So they were all her assistant. And she worked out of her, her home office. I mean, she was just very, very driven. Hmm. And so we grew up, you know, working in, you know, just uh, cleaning out all of these REOs when we were kids. And then, you know, I didn't do anything in real estate until I was 30. So, I mean, there was a pretty pretty long stretch. And I honestly always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but never really knew what I wanted to do. And so once we started getting into, um, I started flipping homes initially, and then, which is where a lot of people start, and, you know, realized that there was there was more to it. And there was a lot more in real estate that could be done outside of flipping. And so we're excited to have you on. Your specialty is more in single family homes, whereas we do a lot of multifamily and most of our guests kind of live in that world. So tell us why you stick to single family and why that's something that you look for first. I honestly love single family. And the reason that I love it so much is because, you know, so many families came over from other countries. I mean, every, everybody is an immigrant in the United States other than American Indians, right? Right. So, you know, the American dream is to come and become a homeowner, right? Is to own your own home. And in a lot of countries, that, that's not always the case. It's not always an option. And so people come here with this dream and this vision to better their lives. And one of those things is to own assets, right? You own your home. And there's a lot of people, especially after the last recession, that, you know, they started losing their homes because of, you know, corrupt banking systems and, and things of that nature. And so what our goal is, is really to help, help families get back to the idea of home ownership. And so we help people through lease options to be able to own their own home again. Can you expound on that last part a little bit? So through lease options, so you're purchasing a property, rehabilitating it, I assume, or doing some sort of capital improvement? Yes. And then you are selling that property in a more non-traditional way, 
vis-a-vis a leaseback? Um, it's yes, to, okay. to an extent, yes. Another, um, another term, maybe rent to own. Rent to own, yes, mm-hmm. rent to own, lease to own. Um, there's a lot of after after Dodd Frank was was enacted, there were a lot of changes that needed to be made to the way that lease options and rent to own actually was um, formatted. And so we went back through and you know spent a lot of time and effort <clears throat> making sure that our our leases and our options were actually you know coherent with the with the current uh, laws that were in place. And so um, what we actually do now is we, um, we have a, a lease with a separate option. And so we can call it, we call it rent to own. We can, we can say lease to own, but technically it's a lease with a separate option. Oh, option to buy, lease, Correct. and then some kind of credit because of the duration of the lease or no? You're not allowed to do credits anymore. Really? The way the Dodd-Frank was written, there are certain things that um, construe, construe it as a sale. And so therefore, one of those things is the only people that get, get a reduction of their of their purchase price, right, are homeowners. And so that that is one way that it can be construed. So if I'm giving you credit on the amount of money that you're providing me, then that is one way that it can be construed as a sale. So we can no longer do rent credits. Can you explain the rent credits? Well, usually it's if you rent for three, four, I don't want to say everybody, but the the, the stigma, if you will, was that Folks who couldn't afford to buy the house right away, whether they had poor credit or some kind of credit-related issue, they would lease with one party for a number of years, and that party would say, yes, as long as you make all your rent payments on time, you know, we report everything positively to the credit bureau, we're helping them become a homeowner, showing that they're responsible, and therefore, as, a, you know, I've gotten the benefit of rent, but to the, and to the benefit of them, they get the, to the sale the purchase price is reduced by some percentage, and I'm sure, Anne, you could tell us what's more, what was more traditional in that case. But that was the theory behind it that you know everybody wins in that scenario. So, what markets are you typically? What markets are you focused on? What price points are you focused on, et cetera? So, we focus on blue collar, and blue collar is going to be different in any in any state that you go into. I mean, if you are in Phoenix, uh, blue collar is going to be somewhere in the range of about two hundred thousand or below. That's blue collar. In California, it would be you know four hundred thousand dollars, right? So blue collar is different everywhere. <laughs> it, it's absolutely insane. There's a reason we don't invest in California. We have a lot of. So my my background is in economics, and so we have a lot of um, very non traditional ways that we look at real estate that is a lot different than the way that a lot of others look at it. So we look at the entire economy, not just where is the real estate market going? We're actually looking at how many businesses are coming into town, how many are leaving, what kind of jobs are they creating? How what is the what is the traditional what is the income range of those of those jobs that are being created? And so then we start, you know, this is these are just this is just one way that we're actually looking at each individual market when we go in and do due diligence in that particular market. Interesting. And how are you coming by opportunities? We live in Boston. We and know every block street we'd like to think. And I still find it hard to find deals and, and, and good buys. If someone called me from out of state, I don't know that I'd be able to assess whether or not that's a ball that's worth swinging at. Like, what's, yeah. what's your process? No, I mean, that's an excellent point. The question then becomes, what, is, what do you consider a good, a good buy? Mm-hmm. Right? So a lot of individuals now, when, when we look at, let's just, let's just look at a traditional flip. How much of ARV are, are most people looking for when they when they're when they're looking to flip a home? It's usually about what 70 percent. That's like the magic number. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, oh yeah, we want to buy it around seventy percent, and then we'll be able to flip the house and then make our make our profit. Great, we can actually buy properties at market value 
we can buy them at 95%. I mean, our goal is obviously to get them at the best value possible, but we're able to pay more because we are renovating differently. And so I'm actually, you know, I'm in the process of trademarking a term. It is rentivation. So we're not renovating, we're rentivating, hmm. right? So we're not renovating to sell the home for a profit later. What we're doing is we're, we're doing rentivation so that we can move a renter into, into that home. Got it. Right? Admittedly, this is a world that I'm not very familiar with. Like the notion that (laughs) I could purchase a property and so long as what I'm buying it for is 70% of its after repair value. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that would hold in Boston. I've never really done that metric. It's usually around 50% up here. It's pretty bad. I would assume so. Can we run through an example maybe? And so so just pick a market, Phoenix. And so you're buying a home for how much? You know, 250,000, 200,000 less? Uh, typically less. So less. a majority, we've, we haven't actually purchased any homes in Phoenix over, over 200,000. Okay. Yeah. So most of our properties are somewhere between 130 to 185. Okay. And so you're buying, so say you're buying a house for 150,000. Mm-hmm. How much renovation are you putting into it? Depends on the home. Okay. So again, this on is, average, I guess. Yeah. So um, typical, um, Typically, we're spending less than ten thousand. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that so, would include what for a renovation? Yeah. So renovation. Again, on average. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're good. So renovation, <laughs> we focus on the core four, and the core four for us is the AC, the electrical, the roof, and the plumbing, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it's Arizona, we've got to have an AC. So we want to make sure that those core four items are good, and we've got we're giving somebody a home that has a solid foundation. Right? If you want to paint the walls yellow, you want to paint them purple, I mean, it really doesn't matter. Right, this You want to make it your own. Yep. And so this is part of that renovation. So we have a very specific psychology that we look for when we're looking for a residence. So we're going to make sure that we're giving you a home that has good bones. Right, The roof is going to be good. The AC, good. We've already checked all the plumbing. We've checked the electrical. All of these things are good. These are the, this is the foundational parts. And, number, and the second thing is they're also the more expensive things to fix in the home. And I don't want to pass on those right when you move into the home. It's like, oh, okay, well, by the way, the AC needs to be redone. So what we do is we fix those core four, and then we allow you to come in and say, hey, I really don't like these baseboards. Fantastic. Home Depot is down, right down the street. If you need somebody to help you out, we have handymen. We can refer them. They'll give you our prices. Hmm. And then you can go in and you can make the home your own. And so it creates the psychology with our residents that this is their home. Interesting. So you're giving them, you're handling kind of the heavier lifts, if you will, the things that a lot of people can get tripped up on, the mechanicals, the structural, and then allowing them to basically customize how it looks and feels. Yeah. Paint. I mean, I'll say what I think all of our viewers are listening is that... Viewers. Viewers, yeah. Listeners (laughs) are are saying... Welcome back from vacation. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Mark's still hung over. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Ten thousand dollars wouldn't wouldn't fix any one of those four in Boston. If I had a bad roof, ten grand would hardly cover it. AC, you're maybe close. So I assume that these properties are prob- probably pretty good already on all of those fronts. Yeah, and that these are minor. Yeah, you know, if I need a new roof and new AC, yep. 10's not even close. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and the other thing is, you know, it's it's all about the buy, mm-hmm. right? So we want to make sure that when we are going to buy these homes, that if we do need to put 15000 in, I'm not buying it for 150 I'm going to buy it for 140 So we always account for what is our all-in cost for not only the purchase, but also the renovation or renovation, as it were. And then we want to look at also the rental rates. And so based on based on all of these different things, what kind of 
what kind of cash flow are we going to be getting from these properties? Yeah, so that was kind of my next question. So you're yeah. buying it for 150, you're mm-hmm. putting 10 into it, so you're into it for 160. Mm-hmm. How much could you rent something like that for? Let's see. So I've got one right now. We just got it filled and we charge rent was about 1550 on that. 1550. Yep. Uh payments on that were about 880. Okay. So cuz we did leverage on that on that particular property. So basically, you're you ever hear the 1% rule? Mm-hmm. Is that one of your targets? Target metrics? have rents on the like low 1% end. on the low end. Yes, yes. <laughs> the 1% is kind of like, you don't want to go below the 1%, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Is that 880 all in or is the renter, what is the renter responsible for? Because single family, it's it's different with multifamily. So is the renter responsible for water and yes. sewer, rent responsible for, are Everything. you responsible for taxes still? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, because we Insurance. are the owner of the home. Yep. yep. So our, our mortgage, including including taxes and insurance, so your PITI, it's 880 on that particular home. And we're, we're, um, the rent on that one was 1550 And then so what's the typical, so you get a renter, you're qualifying them, obviously, because you're doing the, the rent-to-own type scenario. So what's that qualification process like? How do you find a specific enough person that wants to rent, that wants to rent and then ultimately own the property. How, how, how difficult is that? We do a ton of grassroots marketing, right? So we are out there, we have, we fly our neighborhoods. So whenever we have a new property that's available in that, in that neighborhood, we go out and we fly the entire, the entire block, three blocks away. And we, we target a couple of different things. So if I've got one in, in a good neighborhood, we will go into the, into better neighborhoods because people in better neighborhoods might be renting. Right, but they want to. They want to own. So if they can get, if they can transition to ownership in in a slightly, a slightly lower, and a slightly different part of town, or individuals that are, we also market in uh, lower areas because everybody wants to improve their, improve their scenario. Right, they want to improve their life, improve their their kids' lives. It might be in a better school district, whatever the case may be. So we don't. We don't necessarily just target very very specifically, but what we do is we blanket the area with uh, with marketing on very, very grassroots. Uh, we also have a very proprietary way that we go out and we can actually identify identify individuals. How do you scale this business? To me, it just doesn't seem worth the effort to go out and collect. I mean, I hate to sound snobby almost, but if you're going to make 800 bucks a month on a property that's out of state to manage, that took X number of hours to acquire, rent-to-vate, et cetera, how do you, how do you grow this? People work with me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> well, no, that's why you. No, that's, that's why, why you, you hire do somebody. it. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. why you have to scale because, like you said, for us, see, the thing is with multifamily, it's one property and X number of units in it, but yep. it comes comes with the same, almost the same number of headaches, essentially. So then, are you? Is this almost a franchise type model? Are you? Are you the one who's buying all these houses, or are you offering this as a system where others buy into it? Very similar to like a system. So what we do is we actually, um, we own the, I own the private equity firm. Um, my partner and I are, have been doing this for many, many years. And people come to us and they work with us because you're 100% right. People love the asset class, but they hate the headaches of, of having to manage each individual property. This is why property management companies exist, mm-hmm. right? To take away those headaches. But property management companies nowadays, they just cause more headaches than they're worth. Many of them. Right. So there, there are a lot of statistics out there that say that, you know, most property management companies, you end up working with them for somewhere between 12 and 18 months, and then you transition to a new one. Sounds about right. Right. I mean, are you, are you expanding? Are you expanding your business model to Boston? So what we do is we actually encompass everything into do for you. 
It's a DFY. So we are in charge of doing the acquisition because, again, we have a background in flipping. We have a background in, in doing the correct types of acquisitions, right? We know how to find the deals. We have the relationships with the wholesalers. We, we know how to, to flyer correctly. We know how to talk to the sellers correctly to acquire, acquire these properties. So we do the acquisition. We do all of the renovation. We do all of the, all of the management going forward, all the way to the back end sales. So this is really, when our, when our investors work with us, it's really building a relationship. And this isn't something short-term. This is a long-term relationship. So we're building a family, right? And that's, that's really how we look at it. What types of returns are you giving your investors? Our returns, depending on the portfolio, because again, every, every property is going to be different, um, between 9 and 13% currently. Are you, so are you setting up funds or? Not necessarily. So we actually do a, more of a joint venture model. Okay. And so what we do is we partner with each of our individual investors and we help to build a portfolio specifically for them. I see. And what's great about this is that there is so much customization that can be done when you do it on that level. So when you go and you work with a fund on, on Wall Street, you don't, really have, you don't really have any way of customizing it for yourself, right? So it's, it's whatever the fund is going to do. And if you like it, you can go ahead and put your money in, into that fund. Whereas with us, it's, okay, great. Let's, let's determine what your vision is. And let's determine what your goals are within your real estate portfolio. Right. So is this going to, is this a hundred percent of everything that you've got invested or is this just a piece of it? Great. What would you like your real estate portfolio to do for you? And so what we do is we always start with the, the vision and then we reverse engineer and figure out what we need to do today so that we can help to build that vision for you. What's the minimum investor investor investing in into this type of? Um, usually we'll, we'll at least do two properties. Okay. So yeah, so it depends on, on the market that we're currently in. Uh, we stopped buying in Phoenix about 18 months ago. Uh, just because the market was too high, we weren't getting the returns we were looking for. I was buying properties, oh my gosh, back in 17 for $100,000. Same property in the same neighborhood is going for like 180 right now. I mean, it's just it's just insane. And that was that was just a few years ago. Hmm. And so the the market's very overinflated for our investment purposes. So do you are you determining the resale at the beginning with your renter? Yes. So what if the value of the home to your point, what if you negotiate and say, I'm selling you the house for 150 mm-hmm. in three years, yep. and now it's worth three years later, it's worth 180. Mm-hmm. Are you obligated to sell it to them for 150? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, is that a goal? Is as what well? Goal? I mean, no one really, they say it's not smart to bank on appreciation, right? But yeah. is that, is that presented to them as kind of like, hey, this is a potential win-win for you. You know, we have oh, this yeah. price and Absolutely. if the market does better, then you've got this immediate equity. Exactly. And, that, and that's what we want to do. I mean, this is not to, this whole goal is for, for our company is to create a win-win-win scenario. It has to be a win for our investors. They have to get a return, a good return, right? It's got to be a win for us because without profit, my company doesn't exist. And then it has to be a win for our resident. And so what we want to do is we want everybody to be set up for success. And I'm not setting up our residents for success if we're putting them in a situation that A, they'll never be able to execute. And B, we're going to charge so much for the house that they're going there. It's not going to be worth it for them. Right. And they're not getting any value out of it. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is I've actually, um, again, back to my uh, uh, economics, <laughs> I've developed an algorithm so that we can determine what we want to charge for the home, whether it be a five, a seven, 10 year option. So it depends. Again, it goes back to what is our investor looking for? Right. So if they're, if they say, Hey, you know, I'm 42 years old and I've got, you know, I've got 25 years until I retire. Great. We're going to, we're going to continue to roll your investments over. So after the sale of each one of those properties, we 1031 and we go out and we buy some more properties. 
You know, if if they're, um, I've got a couple of individuals that are already, already retired. And so what we do with them is they, excuse me, they are um, now starting to take a distribution. They're like, hey, so, you know, we want to start taking this. I want to take my family on vacation. So when we sell the next house, I just want to take the cash and we're going to run. Okay, great. And so it really allows for this customization for each one of the portfolios that we're able to build. So kind of going back, so you're you're buying the property for 150, you're putting 10,000 into it, you're into it for 160, you're renting it out for 1550. What is the typical term, lease term before that person's option is up? So what we do is, um, let's just take a five-year option, for example. The five-year option, they cannot execute for the first two years. And that allows us to get out of short-term capital gains, right? Mm-hmm. So if it if they can execute in a year, I mean, it just it's better for tax reasons. Mm-hmm. So they can execute for two years, and then they have the remaining of the three years. Um, at any point, they can call me and say we're ready to execute, and then oh, nice. we actually have a list of first-time homebuyer lenders. And so what I do is I just give them a list and I say each and any one of these can help you. So you get to make the determination of who you like to work with, but they can also at this point they will also help you to fix your credit. And things of that nature, because we don't fix credit. Um, we, we just don't want the liability of you know handling all aspects of it. So we help them to find a lender that will work with them and that will help them to get all of their all of their ducks in a row so that they can actually execute on the on the nice. option. And then, how much would you be reselling them that that property for that you're into for 160? That one, I think we just did the option for 298. 298. Wow. Yeah. So again, so just because I bought it for 160. And we were able to buy it at a good value. Doesn't mean that that was actually what the property was worth. So the property was actually worth, um, I think it was two ten. It was two ten when we when we bought it, but we were able to negotiate it because it needed a new AC. It needed had a little bit of roof damage, so there were some things that we needed to fix. Mm-hmm. And so we bought it for the one fifty. We put about ten into it, and then you know because of the added the capital improvements, it was actually worth about two forty. And so now on this option, we were able to to put the option in under at two ninety eight. How does that? So, if it's worth two forty, you're selling for two nine eight. How does the appraisal work? What if it doesn't can't appraise? Then we go back to our investor and we have the conversation with them, and okay. we can say, "Hey, you know, I would just look at you and I would say, hey, so the property we bought. Remember when we bought it for one fifty? And they're going to say, yeah. Remember when we put ten thousand dollars in? Yeah. Okay. We so we're all in for one sixty. Okay. So it's only appraising for two seventy five, and we've <laughs> been getting rent on it for the last five years. So. The renter has been amazing. They've stayed in this home for five years with the anticipation of buying it, but it's only appraising for two seventy five. Now, do we want to take the hundred and fifteen thousand dollars and go and buy a couple more properties, or do you want to just let the let the renter know that we need to wait until it appraises? And most of the time, our investors are like, "Hey, you know Let's what? Just get rid of it. This is no, not even get rid of it. But man, like they were so dedicated to owning this home. They stayed here for five years." They pay their rent on time every single month. And it becomes, you know, let's do something that's good for the economy. Let's do something that's good for society. And so it becomes, you know, almost like a philanthropic, you know, area for them. Interesting. Can we back up for a quick second? I don't know if we covered this. Can we talk about the total number of properties and the total scope of your investment portfolio as it is today? Yeah. Roughly the size. Yeah. And and how many states you're in. I don't know if we covered that. Yeah, so we are currently in two states. So we are in Arizona and we are in Texas. Okay. So we're looking to expand. So we're going to be moving into a couple more states this year. Is that why you're doing this this, uh, roadshow? Just checking out different markets? Yeah, we actually, so this this, uh, roadshow is kind of us um, working with 
working with investors. Nice. And so we're actually doing a little bit of traveling now and visiting um, different family offices and different um, different investors that want to that want to invest in our and what what it is that we're doing. Excellent. And the number of properties or total scope of investments as of today, roughly. Yeah, so we have uh, currently fifty five properties. Nice. Yeah, so our goal um, our goal is to get to one hundred by the end of twenty nineteen. Excellent. Sometimes I just think it's helpful to have that context in there. Yep, yeah, absolutely. We, we like to just jump in on the podcast here. We're just all in and jumping <laughs> in and asking about numbers. So, and- would you say it's a split fifty fifty between Arizona and Texas, or is it more? Lean, does it lean more towards one state or the other? Leans more toward the Arizona market. So we've got we've got quite a few properties in Phoenix. We also have quite a few properties in Tucson. Yeah, so we were moving into into a couple of other states this past year with a couple of our investors. What are the other states you're targeting? Ooh, oh man. Okay. <laughs> Dan, um, are you trying to replicate this business? I know. No, <laughs> no. I just I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. So we were we were moving into the Lexington and the Lexington market. So as um again, this goes back to we do a ton of due diligence. And as individuals, um, so up in Chicago, there were a lot of tax law changes. And so because of the the amount of tax changes that were going on in, in Chicago, people actually were moving into Lexington. I don't know why, but this is where they were going. And we actually have um, a network of individuals across the country that do lease options. And so we call them LOLAs. So the lease option local area operators or hmm. local area specialists. And so what they do is, you know, whenever we are getting ready to move, move capital, we contact all of our LOLAs and say, what does your market look like? So this allows us to have a little bit more of a broader reach because you asked how, yeah. you know, earlier you yeah, asked how, how you find the deals, how we find the deals and how we are able to manage those types mm-hmm. of properties. Whenever we go into a new, into a new market, we are like, we have a, an internal requirement for ourselves. We have to f- acquire at least 20 properties, mm-hmm. right? Because that is the threshold for us to be profitable while still allowing us to actually hire an individual in that, in that state, in that market. Have you had any deals go south? Oh yeah. Yeah. Who hasn't? Of course. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, what did you learn from that one or what was the mistake made? Oh man, I've made a lot of mistakes. You got to be more specific. So I assume that the deal that you laid out, I'm sure is, is a best case scenario, but, and it's easy to be philanthropic or charitable with 115,000 because that's still a lot of yeah. money. Mm-hmm. But when, when the, the how about when a tenant tides turn or a tenant? Yeah. Goes how about back. when a tenant goes uh, rogue or stops destroys paying, the place or something like that? And the rent and oh yeah. Well, here, yeah. here's what's great about having the lease with the options. So the way I've, I've got a ton of mentors, and I, I always think that that's really the best thing to do is if what whatever you want to do, find someone that's already doing it and doing it well, and then learn from their mistakes. And this will actually shorten your learning curve, right? So what my mentor always taught me is he says you always want to make sure that the ball is always in your court. So anyway, so what we what we like to do is when we have the lease with the option, it's still they're still renting under the lease. So when they do go wrong, and we actually just did an eviction um, about three weeks ago hmm. with one of our properties because they stopped paying rent, and then they were squatting in the home. We had to get the you know the sheriff's department involved, but this is you know it's they're still renting the home, and so we still have the ball. We still have we still have the deed, and so this allows for us to just do a regular eviction. What's the eviction process like in Arizona and Texas? We haven't done any evictions in Texas yet. So the one in um, in Arizona, it's actually it's pretty simple. We have to do a five day five day pay or quit. Once that is either either they obviously pay the rent or you know we we end up sending it to our attorney, and then they basically take it from there. And within about a week, we can get um, we can get judgment, and then they have about two weeks to get out. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Oh, it's, yeah, it's pretty, anybody, anybody don't, in- don't do this in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't. Two years later. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a nightmare. Judgment should come any day. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're pro- if a tenant stops, stops paying in Massachusetts, you're yeah. minimum probably six months. Yep. Sounds like California as well. And yeah. this is why we don't invest in California. <laughs> right. I don't want to go. We, my investors and I do not want to go an entire year without, without yeah. rental yeah. income. I don't think it's that bad here. Probably three months. Aside from the tax benefit, (laughs) this model is interesting because, I mean, I think most people's first intuition is just to sell the property in a traditional format. And you mentioned that there's certainly a tax benefit to doing this lease-to-own type of model. What are the other economic advantages that you see in this? I think that there are so many different benefits. I mean, not only only from... I would probably say that my, my favorite thing is that we get some of the best residents out there. And the reason for that is because they are so thankful that someone's given them an opportunity. Many times they, they come to us after they've gone to four and five different lenders and they've never been approved. And they're, you know, they're like, this is my last chance. Will you give me an, will you give me a chance? We're like, absolutely. So what we do is we actually go through real world, you know, underwriting with our, with our residents. And so this allows for us to, you know, take into consideration, do you have babysitting money? Do you watch your your neighbor's kids after after school? Do you wash cars on the weekend? So we're able to go through a lot more of that due diligence with them. And because we allow them to make improvements on their home, on the place that they're living, you know, we allow which them is to do during your home. During yeah, the lease. Really, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't even tell you how many times that I'll give you one great story. So we had a resident move in um, to one of our homes in uh, in Phoenix. And this was about a year ago, right before Easter. And so it was her and her husband, and they had three kids. So the day that they came and we were exchanging the last of the of the option fee, and I was giving them keys, and I'm like, congratulate. I always take photos of them in front of their in front of their home. I mean, just this is this is what we do. There was a van that pulled up and five five guys walked out, got out of the van and started walking toward the house. And I was like, I, I had this like shocked look on my face. And I said, Oh my, you, you told me it was just you and your you and your kids and your husband. Who are all these people? They're, they can't move in. And I'm scared because I just handed her the keys. Mm-hmm. And she starts laughing. She says, sweetie, these are my brothers. We're tearing all, that, all the carpet today. My husband's going to run over and grab paint. We're going to paint the interior of the house. And I've got somebody to um, replacing the carpet on Monday. Mm. Nice. I'm like, it's Saturday. She says, yeah, I, I called him yesterday. Mm. I'm like, she hadn't, she hadn't even moved in. I was handing her the keys right then. And wow. then we're tearing out carpet. So it creates an incentive, certainly, for the tenants to take great care of the property and even improve yeah. it while you own it. Absolutely. Are there other benefits? Do you feel, well, maybe the cash flow is an obvious one. Oh, absolutely. That you're earning. Yeah. Uh, it's almost know. as if your your goal is, if we want to get into more of the economic side of things, you're looking at sort of the terminal value and running an NPV kind of analysis yeah. in terms of from the investor standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. So the, it's not necessarily about making payments. And then actually, I have another question there. So it's not necessarily about making the payments or or getting paid during the rental process, but it's that, that sale that really locks it in. So yeah. do the investors get paid that per- preferred percentage, the entire entire duration? Is it some kind of equity share? How does it's, that work? It's more of an equity share. The downside of the bet in my mind is that you won't, you won't participate in the upside. You've established the price three years prior or even five years prior. And if the market improves, you're capped out and all that benefit goes to this tenant. But if the market crashes, then the tenant might just look back at you and hand you the keys and go, I'm exercising my option. To, to leave or to, to buy? To leave. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so 
And we, we've like had a, that happen as well. I yeah. mean, we've had we've had individuals that say, "Hey, you know, we we ended up wanting to wanting to move up to Prescott." Okay, great. Yeah, and so that, they just that, hand us the keys back, right? And that, in that case, it's just a voluntary thing. But I'm suggesting we've been in a rising tide environment. But if the tide goes out, oh, I see what you're saying. The tenants will hand their keys back and say, "Look, if the market went up twenty percent, I would have gladly exercised my right to buy, but it's gone down twenty percent, and so I'm out." Well, here's the thing, right? Rents typically don't follow that kind of wave. And if mm. they do, it's not as pronounced. So you never really hear about rents going down over the long run. So then the backup plan is just to continue to rent. Just start it. over. Correct. Yeah. yeah and, and sometimes, you know, that, that happens where they come back and they're like, hey, you know, I need a couple more years. Is that okay? We go, we typically go back to the owner and we, or our, our partner and we mm. say, hey, they want to, they want to extend their, their right to option. Mm. And we're like, that's fine. Do you want to continue getting cash flow? For the next five years, still okay, great. You know, they, they were great for the first five years. They'll probably be great for the next five. So that's that's kind of your backup in in the event of of some type of recession. Because obviously, Absolutely. you know, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, mm-hmm. Arizona was one of the worst hit states in the country. Absolutely. So you know, to kind of hedge your bets there, mm-hmm. you know, you want to be able to continue to cash flow, even yep. if you have to hold the property for another five to seven years while you kind of dig out from something that could potentially happen in the future. Correct. What's harder to find, the property or the tenant? Because both are kind of unique. I say that it it really depends. I mean, uh, back in... Or the investor. <laughs> all three. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, we really haven't had um, a lot of bad luck as far as any of those things. To be, to be honest, because in most scenarios, when we're looking, when we're working with our wholesalers or when we're just doing flyering, well, if you are trying to buy the house to flip it and you're trying to get 70% on the dollar and I come in and I offer them 75% on the dollar, uh, who are they going to work with? Me. Yeah. Right. So and I still, money. exactly. <laughs> and so we are still able, so we can beat pretty much any, any flipper this out there because we're not doing the type of improvements that they're that they're doing. We're not putting in granite countertops. These are these are still rentals. So I'm not going to put in a granite countertop and spend seven thousand dollars on on these nice upgraded and like items in the in these homes when somebody may just come in and destroy it. And also the tax aspect of it, short versus long term gains. Correct. So you're already saving more money there. So Correct. you can make up for the paying more by paying less on the back end. But the alternative still is to finish the renovation and then rent it. And then after the two-year lease term, sell it and be able to realize any appreciation in the market. But the hedge, I guess, is that you would have a buyer already lined up who's living there and you'd be aligning your interest with the tenant. I don't want to answer for you, but A, you could renovate and then rent it in a traditional sense. And then after a number of years, market the property and sell it. And in doing so, you might realize a much larger gain because the market may have improved more substantially. Potentially. Um, but but we're, why why not do that? Because we're not looking to do a lot of capital improvements on the on the home in order for it to get to sale. Mm. Right. So what we're looking to do is we are trying to profit in a multi, in a multitude of different ways. So first is going to be the rental income. Right. So we want to have that consistent cash flow. And if we do the improvements on the front end, well, they're going to be destroyed by the time we go to sell the house, right? So we don't want to do it on the front, but if we do it on the back end, then we have to front a whole bunch of costs before we can actually sell the home. So that would be the second thing. So what we're focusing on, on doing is we are moving residents and we want to reduce or minimize as much as possible the turnover. 
right? And this is why we do the lease option, mm-hmm. why we do it for an extended period of time, because mm-hmm. this reduces the the turnover costs that are associated. Number one, we don't have as many as many um, vacant months as other traditional rentals. That's number one. Number two, because we have less turnover, we don't have the turnover cost of you know having to go in and fix things and you know and you know redo carpets and you know a lot a lot of the things that are associated with doing doing a traditional turnover. Okay. So because we're we're yeah. doing it once every five years, typically once every three mm-hmm. years, not once every six to twelve months. You mentioned that you wouldn't do certain things more. I imagine you wouldn't want to like paint and then there's wear and tear for five years and then you sell. Correct. So do you offer those fixes or or spruce ups on the sale side of things? Is that what you're saying? Nope. Okay, no. By that point, most of them are already painted. Yeah, true. Yeah. So I, I can't tell you. So we, I mean, we've gone through a lot of learning lessons. So the, for the first, the first couple of properties that we did, we'd go in and we'd paint and then we'd put rocks in the front. We'd make it look all pretty. And then we come in, you know, six months later for a check and I'm like, Weeds Darn everywhere. It. No, no, they painted the house. Oh. And I'm like, why did we spend, you know, $1,000 painting this house when they were just going to come in and paint it anyway? I see. And this happened so many times. We're like, why are we doing this? And so then we started looking, you know, talking amongst ourselves and we're like, well, you know what? Let's just, let's just not paint it and we'll see how this one goes. And then it went just fine. And then we did another one. And then we did another one. And so what we realized is that they want to do these things because this is their home. You do the heavy lift, they do the light lifts and Correct. the quote unquote customizations, the aesthetics. The cosmetic it, stuff. It's like our lease is here. We don't allow somebody to change a light switch without, you know, docking them for it. So it's almost like you have a tenant that can do these things. And uh, I can see that but as a benefit. But we're not selling to them at yeah. the end of the day. We're not selling at the end of the day. No, I know. But I, that's that's what I'm saying. That's the difference in the business model. I've almost never had a tenant ask me if they can make improvements on my property. Oh, I've had, that's I've had because a tenant they're that, not leasing to own. Right. Or it's, a, not a, a, it's not a single family home either. I mean, no, specifically they are, and they're in Boston. I've had a couple of oh, they they're, they're, oh. they're young professionals. Yeah. But I still don't. I'm still skeptical that a family would put money into my property if they're not going to keep the keys. Well, the other problem is, is the cost to do stuff around here is mm-hmm. way different than the cost to do stuff in Phoenix I'm sure. and yeah. Arizona. But so getting to be about that time, should we play about a quick game of uh, overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated? Do you, know how, do you know how this works? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a lightning round. We'll just throw out a term or a concept, and you just tell us whether or not you feel that it was uh, it's overrated or appropriately rated. So it's, it's, or it's, under. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you kick it off there, Mark? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't make my list yet. Uh, my first question is 30-year fixed lease. Fixed lease or mortgage? Mortgage, God. Well, I was like, fixed lease? Wow. Uh, can we cut that? This is still keeping Mark it in vacation. <laughs> Mark vacation. Mark. Time in. First one, 30 year fixed rate mortgage. Appropriately rated. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> and you've had you've had people that is there a reason why the adjustable rates, Mark, is this where you're going with it? Like adjustable rate instead? Yeah. yeah. Well, are the majority of your are the majority of the renters that are purchasing what what type of product they're getting first time home buyer type loans, but are they 30 year fixed? programs or they aren't five one arms seven one arms like what type of programs are they i'm not sure really how what what they're looking for as far as a product but i would assume that most of them would be doing a 30-year fix okay we like the 30-year fix because again i i we like to control costs and if it's a variable rate you can't that's a cost that we can't control right we don't know what the interest rates are going to be we don't know what the fed is going to set set rates out we we don't know any of those things so we like to mitigate anything that that is the is the unknown how about uh, title insurance? 
think it's a little bit of BS, but, but you know. <laughs> have you never had a title um, issue? All the properties I, are usually I pretty clean. Yeah, I personally have not. I have a great, I've got great title title people. And so, you know, they do their due diligence and we've, we've never had an issue thus far. Leasing a car with an option to buy. Overrated. Really? Tell us more. I, I feel so, like this is very analogous to the business model that you present. No, it definitely is, 100%. Yeah. So this, this actually goes to like a, a huge issue that we have across the entire country, right? We, a, lot of, a lot of people are not taught about finances. And there's a huge financial literacy issue that we have across the entire country. And leasing, leasing your car is not, I just, I just don't see any value in that. So how is it that the, one, the 1% become wealthy? Right? How do the how do the the upper echelon of mm-hmm. of our society become wealthy? They own their assets, and yes, a car is a depreciating asset, but it's still an asset, right? And so I believe that there there needs to be a huge shift in the way that we are talking about financial literacy in in schools. Um, and this is actually something that this is a one of my passion projects. Actually, Ooh. is to um, is to get you know get more financial literacy in, into into grade schools. Subsidized housing or subsidized rentals. Overrated. Overrated. The reason I the reason I think that is because I think that again, this goes back to it's more of a societal problem, right? So it's not so much that people need help. We need to readjust the way that people are being paid for their for their labor. And that's that's more more of the issue. And so when we can we can fix these systemic problems within our within our culture and we we don't need to subsidize people. We don't need more tax dollars going toward helping people that should be helping themselves if they could get better education, if they could get better jobs, get paid more for what they're actually doing. So and it also is on, on the individual to make sure that they are, you know, they're, they're doing well for themselves and not just asking for handouts. I think it's appropriate in, in certain situations, but not, not every situation calls for it. How about uh, homeowner inspections? I think they're appropriate. We always get an inspection on every on every property. We want to make sure that you know you. I want to know what I'm walking into. Mm-hmm. It's not anything that we can't handle. Traditionally, I don't work with anything with a foundational issue. It's just not something that we're we're equipped to handle, and yeah. it's it just takes way too much way too much time to fix. Yeah, so very capital intensive. Yeah, so we're we're just it's just not something that we want to do. It's it's time, it's money. We just don't want to focus on any of that. So we love getting inspections on all of our properties. There are a lot of properties with basements there, or mm-hmm. is it all on slab? Yeah, it's mo- most of it's slab. Do your buyers perform an inspection before they purchase, typically? Tenant slash buyer. Tenant slash Ten, buyer. The, the tenant buyer, no, they do no, not. No, they do not. And so sometimes um, the bank will require it just for lending purposes. So that's at the, in that situation, we, we do it. Well, hey, thanks so much for uh, traveling to Boston today and yeah, joining course. us on the pod. Is it your first time to Boston? It is my first time to Boston. Really? Oh, yeah. We've never, we've never been here before. It's a good time of the year. Yeah. In another two months, you will not want to be here. No, that's, a, that's okay. Well, it was, it was fun because we were just in New York. So we went from Phoenix, which was about 120 degrees last month, to New York, which was at night 46 degrees. So it's almost a 100, 100 degree swing. So I was definitely not happy. Uh, yeah, well, A little chillier. We're sorry you can't see a Red Sox game uh, yeah. in October this year. Mm. But uh, if you delay your flight, you can go to the Pats game. No, they're in New York tonight, right? They are. Yeah. 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 Sun, yeah. yeah. Yep. So if folks want to follow you guys or invest in your company, how can they do that? Well, you can always follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, we are pretty avid about getting on LinkedIn and just you know communicating with everybody there. You can also visit our website, which is going to be amagrande.com. It's A-M-A 
G-R-A-N-D-E.com. Um, or you can call us at our office, which is 480-542-7772. Excellent. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, thanks so Anne. much. Yeah, and thank thanks you so everybody much. for the uh, likes, subscribes, follows, shares, all that good stuff. Keep the momentum going and we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, okay. Cheers. Take thanks, care. Guys. Cheers. Take care.